pray. Thank you, Lord, that you have reached out to us, that you have given us the gospel, and you have done everything well. We are so delighted and in awe of your, your presence, your power, your grace that you've shown us, the freedom you've given us through Christ. And I pray, Lord, as we read your word today, that the gospel would just become so much more precious to us when we realize all that it means. Lord, if we have fallen short of understanding or in practice uh, walking in the truth of the gospel, I pray that you would change us, Lord. You would shake us up so that we could see your truth and recognize uh, with fresh eyes how awesome you are. I pray it wouldn't be dull or monotonous to go through these things, but as we read your word, it would fill us. It would just uh, permeate our hearts, and your spirit would fill us to overflowing so that we can rest in and rejoice in your goodness and how great you are. Lord, we praise you uh, for your great love for us and for this fellowship here today. Lord, be glorified and blessed as we read your word in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll be in Galatians chapter 3, if you'll turn there. The Bible has a great testimony of who God is and the great things he's done. And, and often, in, in both the Old and the New Testaments, we see a huge contrast between God and his people. You would think his people would bear a far greater resemblance to him than they do, but the reality is, God's like always faithful, he's always true, he, he can be counted on, but his people, no, quite far from the case. That they, even when God's presence was among them, they forgot him, they forsook him, they did not believe him, and even worshipped idols, right? As they're in the wilderness, you have the presence of God, the physical presence of God as a cloud during the day and fire during the night, but that wasn't enough to keep all the people following him. Uh, God gave his commands to the people, but the kings sacrificed in violation of the law. Uh, the priests, they allowed the lamp of God to burn out in the temple or the tabernacle, and people were bringing sick and maimed animals as sacrifices if they brought them at all. And then in the New Testament, it doesn't really get that much better. We've got people who, they lie to the Holy Spirit, um, Stephen told the religious leaders that they were stiff-necked, that they always resisted the Holy Spirit. And God gave them his law. So the people that he gave his law to, and even after the Holy Spirit came, we see that um, there was a remnant, but not all of God's people always were faithful to him, right? So we know that that has continued to today. Uh, where the gospel can be preached out of selfish ambition. We can give place to fear. We can return to the bondage of law. Just because we know the truth doesn't mean that we're walking in it. So man's track record, pretty hopeless. But there's something really great that's written in John 1, 16 and 17. It says, of Christ, of his fullness we have all received and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth are not opposed to one another. It's not like a tug of war where grace is on one side, like, oh, go easy on them, be nice to them. But truth is like staunch and uh, not malleable, and they're kind of in opposition. No, they're together. They're in full agreement. We have the gospel, which is true, and it's a gospel by grace that we're saved, not of ourselves. And the truth is, God has extended grace to us. 
and we can walk in it. So Paul's letter to the Galatians, it emphasizes how we are justified. That means being forgiven of all sin, as if you never sinned, and being declared righteous before God only through belief in Jesus alone. So it's only by grace through faith that we're saved. And some of the Galatians had veered from that. They had gone back to the law. So starting Galatians 3, starting in verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Paul had gone throughout Asia Minor preaching the gospel. Many people had come to Christ and trusted in him. They had been filled with the Holy Spirit. There were uh, fruit of the Spirit and gifts of the Spirit in operation. And yet he's mystified that after his departure, they would listen to these false teachers who gave them a false gospel, and they went back to the law to approve themselves to God. Like you needed to be circumcised. You need to keep all these commands to be saved. And he says, guys, you're being senseless. How foolish. What are you thinking? Are you under some sort of spell that's making you leave Christ? Walk away from Christ to this, to the law again? Now, those who push the law as a measure of righteousness, they use the scripture to show, well, you need, this is what the Bible says. And they'll, they'll show that to you to, to say, this is what you should do. Um, and the Judaizers, they appealed to the law, likely saying circumcision is necessary because Abraham was circumcised before the law. And so if you want to be right with God, if you want to affirm the covenant that you've made with him, you too need to be circumcised. But see, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So there was a new condition. It was a changed condition. The legalists of Paul's day, they sought to corrupt minds and turn people from the simplicity of the gospel. We read that in 2 Corinthians 11.3. And under the guise of truth, many do today. Because there's something in us that resists the grace of God. He begins this section by defending uh, justification by faith, and he starts asking these questions, a, a series of questions. And he says, I wonder who's guilty of turning you from the truth of Christ. He's clearly been portrayed before you as crucified. Jesus was crucified and risen. And their focus had shifted from Jesus being crucified to their own efforts to keep the law. That became their focus, what to do, what not to do. And he said, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? He's speaking to a largely Gentile group. People who were not even, they, they had never followed the law. The law was something totally new to them. They were from pagan or Gentile cultures. They didn't know the law. And they could not claim that through keeping, because they didn't know the law, they couldn't claim that through keeping the law, they had been born again, or they had been filled with the Spirit, or they had salvation because that was completely foreign to their lives. They had clearly received the gospel through the hearing of faith. The word was spoken to them, they believed it, and they were born again. It was after they received the Holy Spirit, their eyes were opened to the scripture, they began studying it, and in their zeal for knowledge and sanctification, they became prey for those who preached a gospel of works, because that appeals to the flesh. It's something we can do. You guys ever have that situation? Isn't there something I can do? Like, if there's something I could do to fix this, I will do it, no matter the cost. 
that we think that about a lot of things. And we can think that about righteousness and salvation as well. This is a possibility for all of us that we can begin in the spirit, but at some point take our eyes off Jesus. We can start emphasizing works or doctrines, um, which are we put forth as truth, which hinders people from believing in Christ and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit through faith. I've heard people leverage verses like this, where they go, oh, the truth will set you free. Not talking about the gospel, not talking about salvation, but saying, you know, this is the truth. You need to be set free of that bondage. But what's the context of that verse? Well, in John 8, 31 and 32, it, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, what's the truth that Jesus is talking about that there? Him. He's the truth. The way, the truth, and the life. So when the truth will set you free, Jesus will set you free. Faith in Jesus. Not in circumcision. Not in keeping the Sabbath according to the law. That's not where the freedom is. The freedom is in Christ. He is the truth we can know. Not just a fact we can know, but he is the truth that we know and we believe and we follow. To gain an audience for truth, people will use uh, Hosea 4.6, where it says, my people perish for the lack of knowledge. You need to understand this. This is some deep truth. You need to know this because people perish without it. Well, what's the context of that? Hosea 4.1. It says, hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel, for the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. They didn't know God. That was the truth that they didn't know. It was God they needed to know. So it was a lack of knowing God that was the primary issue. And God often brought this charge against his people. He says, hey, you do what, you, what I'm saying, but you don't know me. Your hearts are far from me. You sh- if you knew me, you wouldn't offer the offerings you bring. Or you wouldn't do the things you do. They were good at keeping the law, but not the God who wrote the law. To the law, they, they added, they actually added a lot of things, which is pretty crazy, right? The law is pretty comprehensive. It's big. You know, 612 or 13 different laws of do's and don'ts. But they added to that as a measure of their righteousness. And they, they actually added other practices and other idols to the mix. And in doing so, forsook God, because they were to put no other gods before him, to make no idols. Verse 3 of Galatians chapter 3. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you Does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Paul loved the Galatians. He wanted them to snap out of the self-righteous slumber into which they had fallen. And he says, you've begun in the spirit. That's how your spiritual life began. Are you now being made perfect in the flesh through your efforts, through what you do? It's not possible. If the flesh could not be made perfect through trying to keep the law for over 1,400 years, what, what could they possibly do after receiving Christ 
that would approve them before God. No one was ever made righteous by following the law. Yet after receiving the righteousness of Christ, it's like they went back away from the gospel to try to do it themselves. Like God gave me the Holy Spirit so I can now keep the law. That's not why the Holy Spirit has come. He's come to transcend the law. It's kind of ridiculous, and I I really struggle to find any sort of comparison because of how just odd it is that you would come to Christ through faith and then think that you could be made righteous by the law. And it's kind of like we were in a pit. The Galatians were in a pit, and it was muddy, and it was boggy, and they couldn't get out. And Jesus reached down by his grace, and he just he saw them there. He took pity on them, and he pulled them out and gave them a new perspective. And they're like, wow, it looks so different from up here. All right, thanks for that. With this newfound perspective, to jump back in the pit and to try to get out of it by yourself by, like, lifting your leg like this. <laughs> or pulling up on your head, you know, lift. i got to get out of here. It's just lunacy. It does not make any sense at all. And I can't do justice to how silly it is, how foolish. And so he's like, guys, this is so dumb. It's so foolish that you would begin in the spirit and then go back to the law, which could never save you and could never make you righteous. And then he says, have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? One of the places where Paul visited was Lystra. That's the place where he was stoned and left for dead. The church was heavily persecuted by the Jews who opposed Jesus Christ. Bizarre to afflict themselves with the law their persecutors taught and affirmed. The Galatians, they were born again. They had the Holy Spirit in them. He says there were signs and wonders done among you. Even in Acts 14, in Iconium, listen to what it says. Therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So these are people who had the Holy Spirit moving. The Holy Spirit was moving in their midst. The church was alive and thriving. And there were some who went back to the law to think that they could be righteous by their efforts. It's about what you do. It's about what you don't do that you're saved. When Paul went to Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, he did not come with a bunch of rules to follow. He didn't give them a checklist to be saved. He brought the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that was it. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Faith in Jesus was enough to be born again. It was enough to be transformed. It was enough to have miracles being done in their midst. The the love of God was now in in a place which had never known the love of God. And that was being through people being transformed by grace. Now, Paul, he mentions Abraham here, the covenant that God had made. The Judaizers placed a great emphasis that Abraham was circumcised before law, and so those who were uncircumcised ought to be. This was kind of the first step of, of showing that you're, you're on the team. You know, you gotta pay your dues, man. If you're a man, you gotta be circumcised. And some were like, oh, it makes sense. You know, it says that in the Bible. So we should listen to it. Paul points out that it was not Abraham's obedience to be circumcised that made him righteous, but it was his faith in God. And because he believed God, he obeyed God. So they had it reversed. His faith was made evident through his 
his obedience. Being born again, being justified, sanctified, that's set apart for God, growing in grace, the receiving of the Holy Spirit, it's all by his grace. We believe to be born again, God gives the Holy Spirit, and we don't need to beg helplessly, like, Lord, give me the Holy Spirit. He sa- it says that he gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. And in Acts 2.38, when they said, what shall we do? Peter said, repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the gift of the Holy Spirit, it's a gift that we receive through faith, not by circumcision, not by the works of the law. It's a gift of God. Do you guys like gifts? Now, we can be a bit picky about gifts, though, can't we? They're like, well, there's some gifts that we're like, this is a keeper and this is a returner. Well, the grace of God should not be a returning gift, not in the returning pile. That's one to keep. And it's only received through trust in God. Not You can't earn this gift. You can only receive it through faith. It's perfectly suited for salvation. Galatians 3, verse 7. Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. The Jews, as genetic descendants of Abraham, viewed him as their father. They could go through their records. They could show, I am descendant of this and son of and son of and son of until me. Like Abraham all the way down to me. So therefore, I am a son of Abraham. And they could point to the circumcision and say, see, I am walking in the covenant that God had given to Abraham to bless all the nations. There was one point where Jesus was having this back and forth with the Jewish folks. And he says, you're not the children of Abraham because you bear no resemblance to him whatsoever. Abraham believed God. They were going around thinking about how they could kill Jesus, plotting against him, not believing in what he said. So Jesus is the truth. And there he's standing before them, but they refuse to listen to him. They refuse to acknowledge that he's the son of God. This is the Messiah. They thought Abraham was great, But Jesus is greater than Abraham, right? Like, not even comparable, being the Son of God. Jesus said in John 8, 44, You are of your father, the devil. That's like a bomb dropping. That's pretty strong, really strong. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks it from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Jesus is the truth, and he stood before them, and he said, you are not children of Abraham. They're like, what do you mean? I've got my genealogy right here. He's like, no, you have no resemblance to him because you don't walk in faith. You don't believe in me. You look a lot like your father, the devil. So Jesus is speaking in a spiritual thing, not a a genetic uh, descendant. The true descendants of Abraham are those who trust in Jesus Christ, those who believe God. That's Romans 4.16. They're the true children of Abraham. 
The circumcision of the body is nothing. Your genetics of this body that's going to fade away are nothing. The true children of God by faith in Christ have our hearts transformed through the Holy Spirit. We read that in Romans 2, 28 and 29. You guys have sung the song Father Abraham, right? Especially those who grew up in Sunday school like I did. Now, um, what, that song was never really explained to me. If you, if you sing that song and did the actions, you might think that Father Abraham was really into like exercise and calisthenics and marching. That's something that Abraham loved to do. Nod his head and turn around and, and, but the fact is he is our father through faith because he is the, he is a man who believed God. It was accounted to him as righteousness. James 2, 23, it says, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Abraham's a friend of God because he obeyed God and believed God. We're given the power to become the children of God through faith in Jesus. And we're Jesus' friends when we obey him. That's what Jesus said. Paul per- personified the scripture as a prophet. It's saying, like afar off, the scripture knew what was going to happen, what God was going to do. And so the gospel was actually preached to Abraham when he believed in saying, in you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. It wasn't just that Abraham was going to have a lot of kids. You know, you hit so many physical descendants. It would be descendants, children of God through faith, righteousness through faith. That promise was fulfilled when Jesus brought the gospel to sinners. And all who are in faith in Christ are blessed with Abraham, who believed God before us. And it's so cool that because of Abraham's faith, we are blessed. Do you aspire to be someone that in future generations, they are blessed because you believe God? You believe God, and so other people are blessed. And that's always the pattern. Those who believe God, those who obey God and trust him, others are blessed through them in so many ways. God promised, Abraham, I'm going to make of you a great nation, but his wife is barren. He believed God, even though he didn't have a son. And when he finally did have a son, Isaac, God told him to go to a mountain, which he would show him, Mount Moriah, and sacrifice his son as a burnt offering. And Isaac at this time was uh, a grown man. And so Abraham traveled to Moriah as God commanded. He put the altar in order, laid upon the wood and his bound son upon the wood. And And as he reached and took the knife in his hand to kill his son with the fire at the ready, God called out to him and said, Abraham, Abraham, stop. Like you passed the test. I know that you fear me. I know that you believe me. And then he swore by himself in Genesis 22, 17, 18, in blessing, I will bless you and multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and as the sand, which is on the seashore and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies in your seed. All the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So through the faith of Abraham, that faith in God is what is the blessing that we receive today. Uh, The promise was greater than Abraham. It was to all nations through him. The promised Messiah would come. 
right? So through Abraham's line, the Messiah was given. Um, but all nations, of all nations, he would have children through faith in God like him. Because God, Abraham believed God, he obeyed. And righteousness comes by faith. So believing God, it's so crucial, it's so critical. May the Lord show us where we are not really believing him, or we are not believing him at all. And like Abraham, where we could analyze and go, well, hold on a second. You said I can be a father of many nations, but I don't even have a son. And he asked that question. But when he was told to go sacrifice his son, it, it didn't say that he even had anything to say. Because he believed that God could even resurrect his son if necessary. He was going to keep his word. Believe in God without doubting. Following through. May we be like that. Galatians 3.10 For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith. But the man who does them shall live by them. One of the consequences of seeking to earn righteousness through the law is you place yourself under the curse when you fail. There's a lot of curses in the law. You guys have read some of the Old Testament, the first five books and the laws that were given. In Romans, we read that if you are guilty of breaking one point of the law, you're guilty of breaking all the laws. You're guilty of all. So it's not your good intentions that matter. Uh, your sacrifices, they cannot approve you before God. Those who wanted to keep the law to be righteous didn't take into account the quote that Paul offered from Deuteronomy 27.26 that says, Cursed is the one who does not confirm all the words of this law, and the people shall say, Amen. So if you hold one law as necessary for salvation, you place yourself under the requirements of the whole law and the punishment of failure. The law demanded absolute perfection without fail. No one could measure up at their best. The law is good when used lawfully, but the law was never meant to be the way of seeking approval for God. You think of all the sacrifices that God had in the law. Sacrifices because he knew people were going to break the law. And he even had sacrifices people were to do if you found out, or a ruler found out, that, oh, we've actually been disobeying God all this time, we just didn't know it. And you had to offer a sacrifice then. And before the priest could even offer a sacrifice, he had to offer sacrifices for himself and be cleansed so that he wouldn't be um, judged. No one is justified by law in the sight of God. Justification, it's that legal term. I think it's really important to use terms that the Bible uses, and some of these need a little, uh, I guess, definition so that we know what we're talking about. Instead of just saying saved, justification, it's a legal term that we've been declared innocent of all wrongdoing and that we have righteous standing before God. Our righteousness is like God's righteousness, without fault. Paul said the Old Testament prophets declare the just shall live by faith. And we read this in Habakkuk 2.4. It says, Behold, the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. And it's quoted three times in the New Testament. Faith in Jesus, not keeping the law, is to be our life. Because Jesus, being righteous, will never lead us into sin. 
He will always lead us in the right way when we obey him. Paul says that the law is not a faith. They were commands that that could only touch external conduct, like being circumcised or keeping the feasts, offering the morning and evening sacrifice. Don't harvest all of your field. When you are uh, harvesting your olives, you're not to knock every olive off. You're to actually leave some. If you accidentally leave a sheaf in the field, you're not to go back and get it. You're not to put a stumbling block in the, in the way of a blind person that they're walking along. There's a lot of really interesting I find the law quite fascinating, many of those things that are there. It's like God cared about blind people. God cared about the deaf, that you shouldn't curse them just because they can't hear you. You should be kind to them. Um, but even though you did all these things, there was it, it didn't touch your heart. You had to do what the law said. It didn't matter what your attitude was. You just had to comply. The law seeks compliance. But God seeks agreement that we would be in agreement with him because we've been made righteous through faith. People wonder, well, without the law, won't people sin without it that to guide them? They're just going to be sinning all the time. You mean that I can murder somebody and that's okay? No, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what the Bible says. Because the Holy Spirit has been made, he's made us born again. He's living within us. He's written his law upon our hearts, which is far more comprehensive and personal then commands etched in stone because now he's speaking to us. And when we fail, we have conviction. We could use the law to justify ourselves and say, see, I've done that. I am innocent. But you can do the right thing and God's like, your attitude stinks. And you're like, oh, my attitude is bad. I was unloving towards that person. I did the right thing. I was legal. But there was something in my heart that was ugly and sinful. And I need to repent of that. Jesus said, it is written, but I say to you. That shows that his law is supreme. It goes beyond what was given to Moses. The effect of the law upon the heart, it's never righteousness, only self-righteousness. It has a double knock-on effect of an elevated view of self and a proportionally judgmental and critical view of others who don't quite measure up. Now, I'm speaking from personal experience here. Our focus can become on what we do or what we don't do, what other people do or what they shouldn't be doing. We become very concerned about that. In Sunday school, again, personally speaking, I was self-righteous. I was the self-appointed heresy-sniffing beagle. You know, like when you go to the, the airport and you put your bag down and the little chubby dog wanders over and sniffs it and sits down and looks for that treat. That was me. You know, I, I was the one who was much more interested in earning another jewel for my crown than loving and believing God and loving other people. You know, I brought my Bible every week and these people didn't even come to church half the time. You know, so I felt pretty bad about them. I felt pretty good about myself because I was doing these things. I wanted eternal life. I wanted to be blessed and I was willing to sacrifice for it. Can you guys identify with that? If there's something you want, you're willing to sacrifice something for it. It doesn't even have to be eternal life. It could be anything. You just want to buy that thing. So you're going to save and you're not going to go out and you're, you're going to monitor your, your money so that you can get what you want. 
Well, we can be that way. We can be so manipulative and just wretches. Again, personally speaking, I, I was kind of like a doctrine inspector, uh, like a quality food control officer standing by the conveyor belt. And if some, like, okay, yep, yep, that's, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Um, uh, oh, that looks like that. There's something questionable with that. Red button, stop. Hey, teacher, wh- you said this. What about this, this, and this? All right, just clearing that up. The problem was none of that doctrine that I could approve of on the outside ever went inside me. It didn't result in me loving people. It didn't result in me um, having a, a humble heart before God or other people. I, I could tell you what was right or wrong about it, but it didn't. it didn't get inside. It was only brokenness for sin and God's grace, the Holy Spirit coming in through me believing. And, and it was the faith that God gave that he pulled me out of that pit of self-righteousness. The problem was my eyes were blind, my heart was hardened by legalism, and I didn't even know it. I had no idea that I was so blind. I had systematic theology, but nothing of the love, the grace, the mercy of God. They were foreign to me because I imagined myself beyond the need of them. And that is a scary place to find yourself. And the thing is, you don't even know. So I was there for a long time. The truth as I understood it was paramount. But as it was divorced from the love of God and the grace of God, I was all wrong. Praise God for his grace that he saved me out of that because it was destructive to me and it was not a blessing to God or anyone else. Maybe you can relate in degrees. Galatians 3, verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us as it is written. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles in Christ Jesus that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. We're going to read that the purpose of the law, one purpose is to reveal sin to sinners, to open their eyes to see they are sinners. What it did was it diagnosed a deadly condition without the ability to cure it. It told us that we were wrong without making us right. Of course, there were sacrifices and offerings, but those covered our sins. It didn't render us righteous before God. If you could turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 19, and you might as well just hang out in Romans because we will continue. Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 19. It speaks of those under the law and the consequences. Romans 3, starting in verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. All are guilty of breaking the law of God. Therefore, we are under the curse of it. Jesus Christ, in Galatians it says, he has redeemed us from the curse of the law because he became a curse for us. To redeem is to buy, to pay a ransom, to rescue or liberate. He became a curse so we could be redeemed from the curse, so we could be brought back, liberated from the curse. Paul quotes Deuteronomy 21, 22, and 23. Uh, 
it wasn't just death by hanging. Quite often, the death um, under the law would be stoning. But the body of an of a, a sinner or an evildoer would be at times hung or displayed, and it, but they would have to bring the body down before nightfall. Even if someone had done some shameful acts, they would always bury the bodies. It said in verse twenty three of Deuteronomy twenty one, "He who is hanged is accursed of God." Christ was our substitute on Calvary. We're redeemed from all the curses of the law by His blood. He's freed us from every curse under the law and the end result of sin, which is death, right? Because we know the curse of sin brings death. That's the ultimate, I guess, uh, end. To return to the law is to return to a curse that Jesus has saved us from. Anytime you read of a curse in the law, if you are in Christ, Now, that condition does not apply to you because he has redeemed you from the curse. Not just the curse of sin and death and the the punishment for sin, but every curse. So when you read those curses, cursed is the one who does this, cursed is the one who does that, cursed is the one, Jesus has freed you from that. You are free from the curse by his grace. When things are going south, do you wonder, am I cursed or something? Everything I, everything I'm doing just seems to be rotten, turning out badly. Or we can think that. But if you're in Christ, you are no longer under a curse because you've received the Holy Spirit through faith. You're free from the curse of the law. Full stop in Christ. If you're under law, all curses apply. But we are free from the curse of the law. The Judaizers had the view of the Pharisees. They were debating if Jesus was the Christ or not in John 7, 47-49. Then the Pharisees answered them, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. They said, You're accursed if you don't know the law. Well, you're accursed if you don't know the truth and trust in him, Jesus Christ. Jews and Gentiles were cursed, not because of their ignorance to the law, but their inability to keep it, their, their, their wickedness that was revealed by their inability to keep it. The law was like a thermometer that could show you your temperature, that you have a fever, but it didn't reduce your temperature. A mirror to show you how dirty your face is, but it can't wash you, it can't cleanse you. So all who are under law are under a curse, Jesus became a curse for us so we could be redeemed from the law and receive the promise of the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus. How many of us, I wonder, having believed in Jesus and been born again, brought ourselves or others under bondage to law? I think it's very natural for us to do that. Our increase of knowledge, it could puff us up, think that we know the right way. We try to put that on others as a measure of righteousness. And we try to accomplish through the flesh what can only be done through the Holy Spirit. Our salvation is by faith, and our life in Jesus is also by faith in Him. I won't go into the trap that some can slip into, that having been redeemed at great cost, we ought to prove our worth by doing this or avoiding that. That treats the sacrifice of Jesus like a cow or a goat, or a sheep. 
when Jesus has freed us from the law and all the curses of it. Let's keep reading in Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God is not righteous because he keeps the law. His righteousness is apart from the law, right? It's not like God had this big, long list and he did it all. And I go, okay, approved, righteous. No, he's righteous apart from the law. But he gave the law. The law is a shadow of his righteousness. It's good and it's true. It says the law and the prophets were witnesses of the righteousness of God we would receive through faith. We've been justified freely. There's that word again, and you'll see it a lot in the Bible, in the New Testament. We're justified freely by God's grace through the redemption in Christ Jesus by faith in him, by believing him and trusting him. We are partakers of his righteousness through faith. I like enjoy, I enjoy watching uh, shows like, let's say, Antiques Roadshow or Storage Wars or something like that. But it's always about some odd object that they find, something that's been laying around the house for a long time, and they, they bring it for the valuation. That's the part that, I, that interests me. The bidding and you know all that, I, I could care less. But sometimes someone thinks they're sitting on a gold mine. Oh, this is so valuable. And they go in and they're like, oh yeah, it's worth like 10 bucks. How much you spend for it? A couple hundred? Hmm, you lost out on that one. But then there's some, like, this, this woman goes in with this painting that Aunt Harriet picked up from some op shop, you know, 20 years ago for $15 and it's worth half a million dollars. And they're like, what? Like, it's unbelievable. Like, shocking. Now, do you think the valuation changes their opinion or the way they view the object? Right. So if you have this thing you think is valuable, you've been like keeping it all precious and they're like, oh, it's actually a copy. It's worth nothing. Like, oh, pfft. why even keep it anymore? Like it, it's been tricking me all this years. I thought it was something great, but it's not. And I had it in a pra- place of prominence in my house because I thought it was great, but it was a fake all along. Like I've been, a, I've been cheated. I'm a, I've been defrauded in some way. I thought I had status, but then somebody else is like, yeah, it's been sitting in the corner of my garage for, you know, 20 years collecting dust. It's worth that? Whoa, insurance. Put it in a prominent place. Dust it off. Get it restored. Right? We treat things a little different. I pray that this book of Galatians would impact you so that when you think of the gospel and what Jesus has done, it would go from being that old painting that Aunt Harriet found to being something priceless and of great value that you're happy to display because Jesus Christ has done everything for you. And he's redeemed you from the curse for the blessing of Abraham. Salvation through faith. That's yours in Christ. Let's just not nod and approve. All right, that's true. That's true. Let's celebrate the truth. Let's celebrate what Jesus has done. 
Let the, let the love and the grace of Christ saturate and flow through your life because of what you've received that you didn't deserve, that I couldn't earn by God's grace. When you picture Jesus on the cross, as we will be in just a few moments as we receive communion together, remember that he became a curse for you so that you could receive the eternal blessing of God by grace through faith. And he's redeemed you from the curse. Flip through your Bible and look at some of those curses. He's redeemed you from every one. He's given you new life by his grace. You couldn't earn that. You don't deserve that. But he's awesome, and he gives indescribable gifts. He wants you to know him. He wants you to believe him. And he has demonstrated his love for you and his righteousness through his life and his death and his resurrection because death couldn't hold him. He was righteous. So as we do begin switching gears a bit, thinking about what Jesus has done. It's a great segue into communion. Remembering and declaring the death of Christ till he comes. It's the death of Christ that demonstrates his love for us, as it says in Romans 5.8. And Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, he wrote this in 1 Corinthians 11.23, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. We do not receive salvation or cleansing or forgiveness of sins by eating of the bread and drinking of the cup. Those are symbols that point to the broken body of Jesus on the cross and his blood that was shed for us. And we eat or drink in an unworthy manner when that's not true inside, when we haven't been born again. That's one way. I guess there's many ways that we can be unworthy. But the point is, we can't be worthy of it by our efforts. You can't be worthy to enter into the covenant of Christ through his blood because of anything we've done, but by his grace, we receive and we rejoice in it. Praise the Lord that we we are guilty. It's not like we were guilty. We are guilty, but he has washed us and he has sanctified us and he has given such great blessings and promises to us. So let's do this now, as Jesus has told us, our Savior who is coming quickly. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for sending Jesus to be our Savior. Thank you for the grace that you've extended to us through the gospel. Thank you for his righteousness, his life, his death, and resurrection. Thank you for your word that that has freed us from bondage um, to sin, to the curses of the law, and to death. And you've given us new life by your grace. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. I pray that 
the gospel would just be such a treasure to each one of us that we'd, we'd just have, look upon it with fresh eyes, just knowing that you have done awesomely. You have saved us. You have given us hope when there was no hope for us, only damnation and separation from God forever. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus was betrayed, but he chose to be broken. Thank you that he came with a message of salvation and though rejected, went to the cross so that we could be redeemed from the curse. Lord, we we want to celebrate you today and every day. We want to rejoice in your faithfulness and your goodness to each one. Thank you again, Lord, for this time to remember, to proclaim your death until you come. Lord, may we be watchful and mindful, walking in, walking righteously, because you have made us righteous by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.